I believe I'm on the air now. I want to welcome you to the my first live show, Winning with Prostate Cancer, No Fear Necessary. I want to thank you for joining and listening. You probably hear background noise, and yes, you do. Uh, I'm sitting here in the lobby in Jackson, Mississippi, on uh, the downtown Hilton Garden Inn. Um, this is my first stop on my journey across country. So I am driving from Atlanta to Las Vegas. And this is my very first stop here. So I've, I've set a plan to make this drive. And it's starting out pretty good. You know, I, I was behind schedule on my first, you know, leaving Atlanta. But I got a lot of things I needed to get completed. And I think I may have un underestimated what that time would take. But I'm here. Uh, I had my first night's sleep on the road. And now I am here in the hotel getting ready for my next stop. But actually, I'm sitting here just talking about this journey that I'm on. So I left Atlanta yesterday about 4.30. Uh, I get to Jackson, Mississippi about 9.30 Central Time. And it was a, uh, a great trip. Uh, I drove straight through. Uh, I did make a rest stop uh, once I got into Mississippi. And uh, just to get some exercise and get my, my legs going. And just take a break. Let my brain rest a little bit, you know, and it's been really uh, interesting. And the trip was more than even what I thought it would be. So how did I get here? Why am I talking about this trip across country? Well, you know, I'm going through, for lack of a better term right now, my my cancer treatment and this treatment that I'm going through, of course, is allowing me to still stay active and do all the things that I've been doing in my life. And then some the strength, how good I felt with this drive. And I had a long day yesterday, you know, one of my morning started at, you know, 630 AM you know, taking care of some things I needed to be prepared, get prepared for my trip. So, you know, I took care of some things, went to my last minute Walmart, stopped to get up, get some things that I needed for this trip. So what happened? You know, I got those things. I ended up washing my car, putting this wax on it. So, I went to Sam's Club and I was going to buy some things. It's right across the street from my mechanic. So my, my mechanic had my car for two weeks. I wanted to make sure that everything was ready for this trip. So I picked the car up and went over to Sam's to fill up my gas tank. And there were some folks out there selling some products. You know, they have these road shows at Sam's and Costco's. And they were selling 
some car products to give your car a shine, make your tires shine, and all, you know, interior things. And so I said, you know, let me, let me see what's happening. So I uh, went ahead and got some of the material that they were selling. I bought it and uh, started using it. So this is what I did yesterday. I applied this all over my car on Wednesday and it was, it was um, okay. And so I did that in the morning around, probably by now it's 8.30, 9 o'clock. It took me about an hour. Meantime, I'm still kind of loading my car back and forth, you know, getting my boxes and suitcases in and get it settled the way I needed to get it settled. Well, one of the things I had to do was to get my, my cooler. So I have this gigantic cooler because I have all my juice for the next seven days. So I ended up juicing three hours yesterday. Also, I bought, I think I got uh, about 40, uh, probably more than that. Uh, I have quite a bit of bottles of this green juice and I made my carrot and apple juice. So got it in this big cooler, loaded it up with ice and put all the stuff in there. So I'm ready to roll, you know, but I got to clean the house. I end up cooking one last time. I figure I got a five and a half hour drive in front of me. I wanted to go ahead really get prepared for this drive. So uh, I cooked some blackened fish, blackened red snapper with some broccoli and sweet potato. So my brother and I, we shared, had our last dinner. I stayed with my brother who just took care of me, you know, allowed me to stay in this brand new house for really almost a month. And I want to thank you, um, Cam, for allowing me to stay there. It made my trip really enjoyable. So thank you for that. So I got a good meal in me and I hit the road. I'm leaving Atlanta at 4.30. You know, if you've been in Atlanta, living in Atlanta, you know, driving at driving at 4.30 at rush hour is not a time to try to leave Atlanta, Georgia for anything. So anyway, I start this journey from Atlanta to Las Vegas. And so I'm on I-20 West and, you know, my car just put $5,000 worth of repairs and upkeep for my car and this car just drove like a dream and I really were feeling nice that hey you know what this trip's going to be something this journey is more than I'm I'm even anticipating so I'm driving playing my music singing just having a good time and just thinking about this 30 hour drive I have in front of me and the stops that I will be making, the people I will be seeing. So 
the background noise you hear is, you know, I'm sitting in the hotel lobby with my equipment set up, just talking. This is something I thought I would never do in my life, to be sitting in public with the microphone headphones on and speaking. And I'm inspecting my line brother to come through. Uh, he lives in Jackson, or he's from Jackson, and he's been here for a couple of months. I'm waiting for him to come in so we can have our, our conversation. But what I'm realizing, you know, this first five hours by myself in this car, just allowed me to reflect on my life and where I'm going at this particular time, you know, dealing with prostate cancer. I had a real good interview, and you're going to be hearing their interview real soon, from someone that they really took care of me back in 1983 when I was in my car accident. And he had prostate cancer. And what he has been going through since the prostate cancer, it, it, it was very revealing of how and what I need to do to battle this disease. So this drive has allowed me to reflect on the things I need to do and to be strong and not give in to what the majority is telling me what I need to do. So I'm really excited about this because I've, I've, I'm feeling the best I've felt in my whole life. I'm a 59-year-old man who now is back at his college high school weight of 153 pounds. And before I started this treatment, or the change in my lifestyle, you know, I was about 172, 173 pounds. So I've lost 20 pounds. And understand, when I'm running at 170, 165, you know, that's, that was my competition weight. You know, I'm a, a world-class masters 400 and 800 meter competitor. So I've been competing around the world the last 17 years. And I've had good success. So I thought my body was really in great shape, that I, I had optimal weight because, you know, I've been up to 193 pounds. So if I take all of it, you know, 193 down to 153, that's a 40-pound swing that I've had in my, my life though, this last 17 years. And how my body is transformed and how it looks, you don't think that it changes as much as it has with 40 pounds. 40 pounds actually does sound like a lot, but the look of it never really registered. But as I've gotten this weight off and now it's not on purpose. Now it's just because my lifestyle has changed. You know, this juice, this juice lifestyle that I'm on, you know, I juice, you know, 80 to over 100 ounces of juice a day, eating just plant-based meals. I will sneak in a piece of fish or some chicken. Uh, I have completely given up red meat, dairy products. 
And and I, I, I tell you that because my body told me not to put that in anymore. I, I cooked a nice steak for my wife and son. And I said, you know what, let me try it. I've been juicing for a few weeks, you know, and see how this responds. And I put that, uh, I ate a couple of pieces of meat and my body rejected it immediately. So my body's really talking to me and it's talking to me in a voice and the manner that I really understand and these adjustments become easier to make. And when I first got this diagnosis in July, I started reading and researching even more about what I needed to do to deal with this disease with cancer, you know, effectively and efficiently. And when I started reading a lot of things, I got a little scared because I'm just thinking, man, these are a lot of things I got to change and do differently. How is this going to, how is this going to work? But miraculously, you know, this transition has been pretty, pretty easy. And, yeah, but again, I'm in the first 110, so it's easy right now because it's at the beginning. But I can say that a lot of the things I thought would be difficult, wanting to eat meat, wanting to eat anything other than organic meals, you know, how would that affect me? You know, would I get hungry? So over these last 17 years, you know, when I got diagnosed with high blood pressure and hypertension 17 years ago, you know, that's when I was up in the 100 and 193 pounds, you know, I had to lose weight and start exercising. You know, that's how I got back into running again. And to change some of those things was a little different, you know, because I couldn't do some of the same things that I, I, I was doing in the past. But I got through it, got my blood pressure, my cholesterol under control. You know, I started competing again. So that gave me some, you know, mental good feelings about what was going on because I've been competing my whole life. And I couldn't run for about 18 years because of my knees. And so I kind of gave up running. But miraculously that I was able to run again. And, you know, that kind of started because I started spinning. You know, I, I was working out when I, when I got the diagnosis, I said, I got to get into the, the gym and start doing something where well, I knew I couldn't run because my knees were no good. But somehow, you know, I, I started spinning, which I thought was crazy. Here I, here, here I am, you know, a world-class athlete in college and, you know, I'm, you know, having a, you know, good career in college. And now someone tells me to get on a stationary bike for my exercise, you know, it's kind of laughable, but I did it anyway, because I knew I needed something to get some cardio and to kind of help get this weight off. So I started spinning and the very first class I took, I was hooked. And the guy was playing this great music and, you know, you, you're in the class and you up and down off your seat. You know, you just, 
you're just having a good time and the music is just allowing the flow to be enjoyable. So here I am spinning. Nine months later, you know, my daughters, actually it was Kelsey, my, my youngest, she wanted to run track. And I said, sure. And took her out there and my other two, Caitlin and Courtney, they wanted to run track too. So they all came out there and they started running. We started running with soccer track, you know, in Southwest Atlanta, uh, Westlake High School. And I met a guy, or I saw a guy that I knew from college that he was a world-class quarter miler and he was training the 18-year-old guys at that time. And he asked me, hey, Corey, we're getting ready to go on a three-mile run. You want to go with us? I said, man, I can't go. My knees are shot. And I just said, you know what? Let's give it a try, man. Let's see what's happening. You've been spending for 18, I mean, for nine months. Let's see what happens. So, you know, we start this run. I said, okay, about a half mile, my knee's going to start aching and ailing on me. So, you know, I'm going to have to stop. And I looked at my watch. It was about, you know, six minutes into the run. I'm like, well, whoa, hold on. What's going on? I, you know, I'm not feeling any pain. So I'm, I'm, Put a little smile on my face because the pain's not there. So I'm, I'm running, and you know, next thing you know, we get I get through the three mile run, and you know, I'm happy as I can be. So I'll come back the next day and repeat the same thing. So that spinning class, I believe, did some healing to my knees that allowed me to run again. So here I am. I'm training again. And Coach Cobb, which you'll hear, hear his episode and soon, that he came to my office and asked me and said, hey, Corey, why don't you come out and run? You know, Angelo Taylor and, and Terrence Trammell are coming back, getting ready for the 2004 Olympics. Why don't you come on back and train with us? He said, you know, we got some unfinished business. I said, you know what? That sounds good, coach. I'm, I'm going to come out there. So, you know, we go over to Exchange Park in Atlanta, which is off Columbia Drive. And here I am with Olympic gold medalist Angelo Taylor, Olympic silver medalist Terrence Tremell. They're getting ready for the 2004, you know, Athens Games. Here I am, all broke down runner, old man out here training with these guys. So in the fall, how we train, and this has been consistent from Coach Cobb, uh, majority of his, his career as a coach, we just doing base work, getting over distance in, running, you know, putting in 30 miles a week and running hills and 800s, you know, and so just getting our bodies in condition. And I'm out here training with Olympians. So I'm feeling real good about myself now. My knees are not hurting. So I'm like, you know what? This is going to be okay. So we're, we're training and, you know, now Jan you know, this is October. And January, February rolls around. And January rolls around. Now it's time to hit the track. 
Now, this is when we start doing our interval work. And again, here I am training with Olympians and running the exact same workouts. Now, the times were a little different. What Coach Cott would do, we're running 400, we're running 600s. He may say, Corey, go ahead, go. I'm starting these guys 20 seconds later. And so I was kind of like the rabbit. You know, so you got to understand as a rabbit, you, you know, you keep a certain pace and I got to do my own thing. But I'm like, I got Angelo Taylor behind me. I, I'm going to try to make sure I get there before he gets there. And so it was an excitement in practice every day that I'm training with Olympians and seeing the sacrifice that they go through and doing those same things. So that was an exciting time for me to get my self back in shape and to understand, you know what, this takes work. This is something you just don't do and hope it happens. You got to commit to it. You got to put the time in. So this summer goes on and, you know, Angelo and Terrence both make the Olympic team. I run my first master's event in normal um, Illinois. And, you know, and I don't know what master's is like, you know, but I see Sonder Nix there, who's an Olympic gold medalist. Matter of fact, I'm running the same event that he is in the same age group. So now I get to compete again. You know, it's kind of deja vu, you know, seeing these guys when I was in college running against Saunders in, in college. And here it is again at Masters. I'm 43. I'm 43 old running my first Masters. And Saunders Nix is there again. Him and some others. And I placed, I don't know, six finals. I did get three limbs. But the excitement of being able to do something that I love again was exciting. And seeing Olympians out there, you know, James Lofton, you know, Willie Gault, you know, there are some, you know, people with what we call real credentials out there still competing at the master's level. But that was enough to trigger my brain to let me know that I can do this and enjoy it and it's good for me. You know, we, you know, I've always tried to get things to motivate me outside of just praying and hoping God gets me there, you know, and that's something I always do, but he always gives me something to allow me to hitch on to really get there. And this where I am right now is really no different because not having the hunger pains, you know, doing the things I'm supposed to do, it's working. And I just believe he's given me that outlet to make this happen. It's just not just getting on my knees and praying and hoping and believing. You got to put the work in. If they say faith without works is dead. So here I am 
running and having a good time running masters and you know terrence goes on to get another silver medal in that 2004 games angelo actually got injured that year um but it it catapulted me to start running and, and, and enjoying my life again you know as a masters athlete but giving me the determination and understanding what hard work is and, and to put it in at different stages of my life. Because now I'm 40-something, it's different than running and putting the time in when I'm in my 20s, you know, or in my late teens when I was running, you know, in college. It's just different. But what it taught me and showed me is that I got to keep pushing myself regardless. Never be satisfied where you are in your life. So this diagnosis of prostate cancer wasn't a surprise as it was a welcome new challenge. And I know that may sound weird, but I welcome that challenge. Because as I look back over, you know, the last three months of my life, I realized I was bored. And I get bored kind of easy. Uh, my mind and my brain just constantly is moving. That's also a detriment because it causes stress on my body because I'm constantly having to do something. And what I realized is I was putting too much stress on my body, mind, and spirit because of where I was in life. So this diagnosis of prostate cancer has given me new life. And I'm enjoying this new challenge. And there's no fear there. And we hear cancer and we kind of just just drop like, oh man. And I'm this challenge for me with cancer is the same as it is when I was told about high blood pressure and my cholesterol was high. And I overcame that. But for some reason, we think cancer is so different. Is it because of how much is out there from a marketing position from Big Pharma? Is it because we've lost people to cancer in our lives? And we all felt hope, help, helpless to do anything because of what the doctors and the medical people were telling, what you can do and what's available? What makes this disease so frightening to fight it head on like we do everything else in our life. It's not a death sentence. So this drive, this first leg was very liberating for me because I felt as good as I felt in my whole life. So when I was at Morehouse, I would drive from Atlanta to Ann Arbor, 
you know, it's 700 miles, you know, and we would, that was a 10 to 12 hour drive all day long, you know, so you, you couldn't do that in the weekend, but, you know, we would try to do it over Thanksgiving. We did it over Christmas, but the wear and tear on your body, even at a young age, it was taxing. And I can remember those drives. And typically it was two or three of us and we would swap off because, you know, we had to, we had to make that drive kind of straight through because we only had a few days. You know, we, we had the money that we could just be flying back and forth, you know, for, for these holidays or something special. So, you know, you drive. And I grew up driving with my parents and, you know, my, my parents would drive my brothers and I really around the country and which they did, but we would drive from Chicago to Baton Rouge to see my dad's parents and, and our cousins and his, his brothers and sisters. And that's where my dad grew up in Baton Rouge. So back then when we drove, you know, it was a lot of two-lane highways. It wasn't the interstates the way we have them now. So I always remember, you know, when we would be driving, you know, mom would always call AAA and get these trip books. And they would have them highlighted, mapped out your trip. And, you know, you may have three different trip books for maybe one or two states, you know, so you could have it blown up. And you can kind of see a little more detail. You also had the large map that you could see the complete trip. And those skills has impacted my life even as an adult. You know, when I travel, when I travel overseas, you know, we, you know, we always go out what we call the people. We want to be out with the, with the local. So we catch public transportation, the subway, the buses. And, you know, we just pick up the, the maps or the books with the bus lines. And I knew how to read them from growing up as a kid, learning how to read maps with mom and dad. And driving with them on these two-lane highways, watching them interact with the truckers. Because when you have two-lane highways, you know, when you get behind a truck, you got to pass it at some point in time. Well, you learn how to communicate with these truckers. And I remember, you know, mom and dad would, you know, when they got behind the truck and, you know, that's when I learned about the double yellow. And when the yellow was gone, you had to, the regular lines on your side, it was okay to pass. But you still would have the truckers help you because they were so high up, they can see a little further ahead. You, they would flash their lights. And the truckers would flash the lights back like it's okay to go. And that's what you did. And so my dad would flash the lights. Truckers would flash his red lights on the back of his, his um, truck. We'll go around it. And then we turn the signal back on to come in. He flash, lights come back in. And then you just kind of, you know, hit your little flashers to say thank you. Well, I got to experience a little of that yesterday, you know, because driving on a highway freeway 
on long distance drive is different than driving long distance. I mean, driving on the freeway when you're driving locally in your, your own town. Your mind's totally different. You're thinking differently. The rules of the road are a little different because you're someplace else. You're not thinking about not blocking the left lane and getting over and, and stuff like that. You know, it's just, it's different. And I relay all this to my, my f- fight, you know, my lifestyle dealing with prostate cancer is, you know, I got to do this. This is a long distance trip now. Even though I've been, you know, running and keeping myself in shape. and But that was all local traffic. You know, it, it, you know, I don't worry about flashing my lights with the trucks to let them know I'm coming over. You know, even though these interstates have three or six lanes and all that stuff, you know, but how do you, how do you get around it? How do you get through it? You know, and I got that feeling of being back in the sixties and the seventies driving with my parents. Because, you know, when there's a few cars out there and, you know, you, you're driving 80 to 90 miles an hour, you know, you want to make sure you're safe. And when you want to pass a truck that it's clear, even though it's not the two lane highways, because there's still other cars there that may not quite be traveling the same way you're traveling. So they drive a little different. They get in the left lane and maybe not pass and slow down and just like driving like it's a Sunday drive. But in reality, you're on a long distance trip. They may be on a short distance trip. So as I go through this, this diagnosis and treatment that I'm doing, I have to understand everybody's on a different trip. And how we approach it may be different and how we understand it and how we deal with it may be different. But I was able to kind of reflect on that this first leg of the trip. And just really enjoy it. Now what happened, I ended up driving probably the majority of this leg in the dark, which I said I'm not going to do any night driving. But I had to, I had to leave yesterday to get this thing started and I had to get some things done. So I didn't get to see as much as I wanted to. Fortunately, I've driven this route before, but I want to see it again uh, for myself. So I'm going to make sure from this point on that every leg is in the day. No leg is over five hours long. Actually, most of them are in the three to four hour range. That's all I want to do. I don't want to give all my my body away on this trip. It's come too far. It's in a place that it hasn't been ever before in my life. And I don't want to give it away. I want to maintain it, keep it even better to fight this cancer. 
But I also want to see the world. I want to see the United States again. I want to see the country. See, back in 1973, my parents drove my brother and I around the country. They drove 7,300 miles from Ann Arbor, Michigan. We drove all the way to the West Coast, you know, to L.A., Vegas, Utah. You know, so my fact that my parents just bought a brand new car for this trip. And in fact, they bought a, it was a 1973 Mercedes C220. And that was the first Mercedes my, that, that we had in the family. You know, because I was the, you know, you get one of those cars, man, you feeling good about yourself. We, we had the Cadillacs, but now we finally, you know, got a Mercedes and, you know, that was big. And I remember getting in that car and, and mom had a heavy foot. And so back then, you know, the speed limit was, you know, 70, 75, you know, even it's kind of there now. But when you got to Utah on the Bonneville Salt Flats, it was no speed limit. And it was 73 miles of complete straight, not a turn in it. And then over to the right in this, the Bonneville Salt Flats, that's where Jaeger and them, that's where they would do the speed test, you know, breaking the, 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 the sound barriers and stuff. So over to the right, you know, for miles, these guys are racing these rocket cars. And mom, of course, you know, we on the interstate, she's just like, I'm hitting it. And she was doing 100 miles an hour on the Bonneville Salt Flats. And that was just amazing. And, and, and I remember going through Utah and back then, so... You know, Vegas wasn't as widespread as it, as it is now. And we it was nighttime when we came through Utah and we were coming over the hill to come into to Nevada. And I'm sure there's some people out there that have probably been on this journey, on this trip from Utah, Nevada, into Las Vegas, especially back in the 70s. But when you came over the hill from pitch black, you come over the hill, you just see these lights, and it's Las Vegas. It's the Strip. And it's like, wow. I fell in love with Las Vegas back then. So I'm 12 years old. Circus Circus had just opened. Mom wanted to go to Circus Circus. So we go to Circus Circus, and it's a circus in the middle of the casino. It's like you got Wingling Bailey Brothers. And it was just the most amazing thing to me. So we go through, you know, get to L.A. Then we slide up to San Francisco, hit some things up in Washington, Oregon. And then we start headed, cutting back the other way. But that trip showed me what a road trip can do for you and who you're with to, to enjoy that time together. So this trip for me is reflecting on that time with my family. You know, I lost both my parents last year. And this is something I know they would be 
proud to know that I'm doing. And actually, my wife and I said we want to get a a van and take the grandkids around the country. We want to drive around the country. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Getting the grandkids and just driving around the country. Because I know what that trip did for me. So understanding that and understanding that this journey I'm on with prostate cancer is no different. Cancer is not scaring me. That word is not scaring me to stop living. And there's some new episodes that you, I will be airing probably doing this journey with people who have battled cancer and what they have gone through. And I just want all of us to pause and think for a minute. What do we do with the information that we receive about ourselves? And I know a lot of us out there are believers and we say we have faith. But up to what point? And this has been an eye-opener for me. Not, and a lot of it is coming from the people I've been talking to, and the people who have been through cancer where they are, what I thought about it when I heard my diagnosis. It's a different perspective. You know, there's a term that said, hey, you never know until you walked in somebody else's shoes. And I've always believed that. But until I've gotten into deeper things in life, different events, in my life has that reign so true. We think we know, we think we understand it, and we can to, to, to a point. But can we really feel it and understand it until you walk through it? I've mentioned this before, you know, I, I know athletes, you know, get frustrated hearing these experts who never played, who never even made a varsity high school team, now become experts about particular sports. You can't until you go through it sometimes. You can still help and assist, but some things it may be hard to grasp. And not that you can't be great and do things because you hadn't experienced it. You may have studied it but you've gone through some things to get an understanding. So my whole life, my 59 years, and I'm saying prior to my diagnosis, July 14th, 2020, all those years, all those experiences has me ready for this fight. And I'm looking forward to it. It is a challenge that I thought I would never be happy to welcome. But it has 
awaken my awaken me again to move forward and to enjoy these last years that I have on this earth and to make an impact. So I want to thank you for listening. Uh, and I'm going to be doing this probably every day at every stop that I make. I'm hoping to get some callers to call in. I want to hear from people. I posted the number. I'm going to give it out. 404-557-2264. Please give me a call. I need to hear from you. What I've learned is I get strength from other people. Whether they've been through it or not. But somehow there's some experiences that we go through that we still can help. And I'm going to continue to talk and do what I do because it helps me. And I'm being told it helps others. And it's a great feeling to know that it's doing something. So I want to say thank you for tuning in, paying attention for a minute. If you just tune in and you're clicking right off, say, what is this? It's okay. But I believe that something is happening in my life that has never happened before. And I just want to enjoy it. I want to share it because it's important to me of how it makes me feel to know what's going on. Oh. Ben? Hello? Yes, sir. Yeah, Ben. Hey. How you doing, man? Man, I'm I'm doing all right. All right. My phone just came back on finally. Okay, hold on. Um, you actually on the air, so you got. Oh boy, I'll call you back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are on the air, man. Wow. Okay. Yes, sir. So, uh, are you coming by? I'm sitting here waiting for you. I am getting ready. Okay. All right. I just No, I don't need to hear. Me, um, I'll be, I I'm here. Okay. I'll see you, yes, my sir. friend. All right. All right, I'll call you when I'm close. I got to take a well, I got to get ready. Okay, sir. See ya. Okay. All righty. Okay.
All right. So my guest is showing up now. It's going to be a little bit. But I'm going to take a break. And I'll be right back.
That's my right hand, the man who's taught me so much about life that you're hearing. Christopher Thompson, my cousin who has taught me so much about life. We'll be coming back from this break in a few minutes. I want to thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first segment. And I hope you stay with me on this journey. I will be coming on live every day at my location, my stopping points. I'm driving no more than five hours a day, all daylight from this point on. I want to enjoy this trip. I want to see the country. I want to see if I remember it as I did when I was 12, when mom and dad drove us around the country. I want to see what I remember. I want to feel it like I felt it back in 73. But this time I know my healing is going on. Just waiting for my big brother sometime to hop on. Now I'm gonna have my big brother, my little brother on the show some point in time in the future. I'm just surprised my big brother ain't called just ribbing me. Y'all didn't know y'all didn't know Dave Moody. Y'all know he don't let nothing go by. How is he letting this go by? I don't know. Maybe he just don't know. So I guess my social media skills ain't up to par yet. I don't know how to get this stuff out there and let people know that I'm out here doing this. Because no, no one's believe I'm doing this. They probably don't even believe that this is even my voice. This ain't Corey. Corey can't do this. This is a kid that failed speech class till he was in the fourth grade. F, F, F. English, not too good. That's why I got drawn to math. Math, I didn't have to talk. I can just do my own thing, let my brain work. Figure it out. It was objective. Either I got the answer or I didn't. 
no in between. Here I am in the middle of a hotel lobby, equipment set up, speaking to whoever listen. Ain't no way. You may say, man, you 59 years old now, you shouldn't be afraid of it. Well, I fear stay with us. You know, they don't go nowhere. We may overcome them, and, but what we experience in our lives sometimes is hard to leave us. And, okay, you know, y'all hearing all the sound and stuff. Again, I'm in the lobby, so can't stop that. You know, but I want to thank you for tuning in and following me on this journey that I'm on across the country from Atlanta to Las Vegas. I'm at my first stop, which is Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm actually going to be going to Shreveport later this afternoon. I'm going to see my aunt. It's my dad's last living sibling. So I'm going to go spend a day or so with her and my cousins, Buttons and Rosetta. And she actually just lost my uncle. Her dad just lost two weeks ago. He passed. So this trip is, you know, something I'm looking forward to because I didn't get to see them when he passed, you know, covert is keeping people away from a lot of things, making it difficult to gather. But this trip to Shreveport, I know it's going to be a little special. And I'm going to talk more about them when I get there. But so that trip from Jackson to Shreveport, that's a three and a half hour drive. So that's my next stop. Then after that, I'm going to Wichita Falls, Texas. And I'll be saying the other cities as I go through. But again, these trips are four hours, you know, four and a half hours, no, no more than that. I just want to drive, take my time getting across country. I want to enjoy, I want to experience this trip again as if mom and dad are right there so but this is my journey to help me fight this prostate cancer you know and I know I'm getting strength from this trip I got strength from this first leg and I'm looking forward to it so how did I get here? What, what got me sitting at, a, sitting at a table to speak like this in a lobby? What diagnosis of prostate cancer? So I got to get over my fears. You know, I'm very scared of birds. Those that know me, they know get away when the birds are around because I will run you over. I will get out the way. 
speaking is something that I've been very fearful of. There are so many words I just can't say. I don't know how to pronounce it. My tongue gets tied. So when I'm speaking, I'm trying to think a couple of sentences or paragraphs ahead to say, okay, what words can I use, you know, saying this? But I'm getting there. So what really prevents us from from living with the diagnosis of cancer? You know, and I was talking to someone earlier today and we were, they're a cancer survivor also. And we, we were talking and we said, you know, do we want to be alive or do we want to live? Because there's a difference of living and being alive. And some of the guests you're going to be hearing from real soon going to tell you their take on being alive as opposed to living and how it has affected their lives. And I think the fear of cancer has us worrying about being alive but not living. And there's a difference between the two. And I want to do this living, not being alive. So that's why this drive across the country is important to me because I want to live and I want to show that I could do this and that others can do this also. You can live with cancer. It doesn't mean that it's always in your body, but you can live with the diagnosis and the treatments that you go through and not have to stop living and now just be alive. I remember watching war movies with my mother. She was a World War II fanatic. So we would watch war movies a lot and documentaries and stuff. And I remember watching this one movie and one of the soldiers stepped on a landmine and blew his legs off. And he was still alive. And his other friend came over and he, he grabbed him and said, I'm going to get you back. And the guy looked at him and said, not like this. And they already had a conversation if something happens to him to take each other out because they didn't want to go back home a certain way or look in a certain way. And I didn't quite understand that as a, as a kid that, you know, I don't want to go home like this. And his friend ended up just shooting him to kill him. And I was like, mom, why did he do that? That was his friend. He said he didn't want to go home like that. And I didn't understand that until I got older. But when it really resonated with me is the, one of the last few conversations I had with my mother before she passed. And 
you know, my mother passed last year with COPD and she was on oxygen and, you know, she was in a wheelchair trying to get around, you know, keep her strength. And she just couldn't walk because her respiratory was so bad. And, you know, our father passed 60 days prior to her passing. He, he actually passed first. And what was interesting was that we always figured, you know, when mom got sick that, you know, hey, would, you know, she would probably, you know, go before dad because, you know, dad was kind of under control, you know, with this medication. But what I understood and, and started realizing, you know, doing their, you know, illnesses the last couple of years was that, you know, mom took care of dad. She did everything for him. So when he went down, or when, when she went down and got ill, she, he automatically went down because his caregiver, his caretaker, couldn't do it because he depended everything on her. So I'm in Atlanta with my wife. And we come to the office at 10 in the morning. And we get a call. Dad's unresponsive. And we just walked in the office. We're like, what are you talking about? And I heard Kim kind of scream or let out a cry. And I'm like, what's wrong? She said, I said, I said, what's wrong? What happened to mom? Because I just knew something happened to mom. And she said, no, he's dead. He's dead. I'm like, dad? I'm like, How? So we hop on a plane and it just, fortunately my office building is right at Peachtree Center. So we just took the elevator right down to the train station and hop on a flight. And we get there and I see my dad on the gurney in the hospital dead and it's something I thought I would never see or I wasn't ready for and what I realized mom couldn't take care of him anymore And when I saw her and we talked, you know, she went another 60 days before she passed. She just said, Corey, this just ain't me. And I remember saying, Mom, it's okay. I understand. And I understand because us watching those movies as a young kid, that our lives are what we want them to be. But what we want them to be, we have to work for. We have to understand who we are individually. And I understand who, who she was. So when she said, I can't do this, not that the fight was hard per se, 
but felt there was no options to to get well. She said, I just can't do it. And she passed. The good thing was that I got to spend 17 years of my my adult life with my parents again. See, when I left at the age of 18 to go to Morehouse to Atlanta, see, I never came back home again. So I never got to have that adult relationship. Yeah, we saw each other on holidays and things like that. But getting to move to Las Vegas in 2003, have them see their grandkids grow up. They were, you know, my girls at that time were in junior high. But got to see them and I got to spend an adult time with them. Was, was great. And even more, when I met my wife now, Kim, we were able to travel with them. You know, go to Paris, you know, just travel with them and spend time as an adult. There's nothing like it. So I was okay because I got 17 years again of a beautiful relationship. So I understood that. I understood that. I'm saying that because I talked about being alive or living. In certain decisions we do, we may be alive but not living. I've gone through several living, being alive transitions in my life. And I always feel good when I realize, get off the treadmill, get off the hamster wheel, and start living again. We can get trapped. I got trapped in being alive and not living. Hey, things are going good. Hey, I'm having a good life. I'm, I'm running. Career's going well. I'm had houses and cars and work for myself. Make my own schedule. And it looks like it's a great life. And it's not a bad life. It's been a great life. But what I realized, I'm just kind of living. Wasn't alive anymore. So this diagnosis woke me up again. Hey, it's fun. I've had some great accomplishments in my life. I've experienced a lot in my life. You know, I always remember hearing people say, you know, 
people with money just because they have money don't always mean they're happy. And we always say, man, give it to me. I, I can be happy. It's not, it's not that I got a bunch of money. But their parents can be, man, you know, everything got to be great. And it has been great. It really has been. But I, but I realize I haven't always been living. And it, what I can say is the times that those recognitions come in play in my life, it's typically after a quote unquote tragedy or something bad happening. And then you realize you got to work. You know, you got to make moves. You got to do stuff. Can't just sit. Got to make things happen in life. That's what I found out. Hey, I can do this. It's okay. Yes, around around the corner. You can do this. You can fix this. There's always when my back's against the wall. Can I escape out of this? Can I make this happen? What can I make good out of this? And then after that happens, we get back on the hamster wheel. That's what I did. And what I know is I want to live the rest of my life. And whoever's in my life, when you see me back to just being alive again and not living, shake me up. Let me know, Corey, you just living again. So this journey that I'm on, this trip, I'm so looking forward to it. And I remember when I said I was going to do it, I was a little like, oh, man, that's a long drive, man. How are you going to do it? But as life started happening and started living, the doors and things were opening that, hey, this is going to be a great trip. I remember when I first got my car out of the shop after my mechanic in Atlanta had been working on it, I got a chance to drive it to Columbus, Georgia to see my line brother. So that's the, you know, it's about an hour, 45 minute drive. You know, you know, I spoke a little earlier about traveling and, you know, when you're traveling locally and when you're traveling long distance, your experience and your mind on the freeway is a little different. So this Columbus drive allowed me to kind of feel like I'm on a real road trip. It's not just getting, you know, to another store and that's the way you go. This was a road trip that you got to focus and understand the rules of the road. And that car just rolled like a dream. And I apologize for the background noise, but I am in a lobby. And I hope you can hear me clear. But that thing just rolled like a dream. And I got excited about this road trip. And I knew I still had another, you know, 10 days to get everything together. 
So you got to understand what happened. Let me take you back a little bit. So COVID hit in the middle of March. I flew to Las Vegas in the middle of March, right before everything got shut down. Well, prior to that, February 28th, I go get my car emissions taken care of because I got to renew my emissions and my license. My birthday is April 7th. Well, I failed the emission test. So I said, okay, I got to get it out to my mechanic. And I knew I needed to get some little work done anyway. But I, now I'm in Las Vegas. So I'm usually week in, week in Vegas, week in Atlanta, maybe 10 days. You know, I'm back and forth, you know, kind of on a cycle. Well, seven months passed before I finally get back to Atlanta. Well, so what happens then? My license expired. My car tags expired. So now when I finally get back to Atlanta, I got to take care of all this stuff. And that process took really all the time that I was in Atlanta getting this stuff done. And I was riding dirty. And I tell you the uncomfortableness of riding dirty, because I've never had to ride dirty in my life. I've always been able to get my license renewed and car tags and all that, you know, it's never been an issue. It was uncomfortable. Now I'm driving to Columbus. I'm still dirty. Uh, I think I had my license, but my car tag hasn't come in yet. But so now I got a 2001 car with, well, I'm going to turn 200,000 miles on my drive to Shreveport. I'm at 199,800 and something. So when I get to Shreveport, I'm going to be 200,000. So it's a 2001 car, so it doesn't have the Apple CarPlay and all that other fancy stuff. So when I go rent a Toyota Corolla someplace that has the Apple Play, I feel like I'm in luxury because of the convenience of technology. So I got this FM frequency Bluetooth that allows me to play music through my speakers, but I got to be on an FM frequency. So I'm driving through Columbus to Columbus and about 80 miles into it or so, I lose the frequency because now it's a real station that picks up. So I don't text and drive and stuff like that. So I just pulled off the exit and pulled over to this little gas station to change my frequency because I didn't even know how to change the frequency because I hadn't been in the car in so long. I forgot how to use it. So I I did fix it and got a new station. But my GPS took me through LaGrange and the back roads. And these back roads were like the trips. Again, I apologize for the sound, the noise. The going through these back roads, it was like when I was driving with my mom and dad from Chicago to Baton Rouge, where we had to be on these two lane highways. And you know, you're driving 50, 
50, 55 miles an hour. Then you come to the town, you got to slow down to 30, 35 miles an hour, you know, because you know, you're in a little town, but it's only two stoplights and you're through it. I got to experience that a few weeks ago for the first time in many years. Seeing the old towns, the stores that still look like the 60s and the 50s. This is where you find your old cars and some great antiques too. But as I'm driving through these towns, I'm just reflecting on these trips with mom and dad and the joy that I felt having that. And that feeling came back again, going through these little towns. And I'm just singing and I'm just enjoying it. And I can't wait to get on the road for this cross country trip that I'm on. And that's where I am again. I'm living again. It's not just alive. So it's just important for me to, to have that because I know I'm not just alive. I'm living again. And not to get caught on the hamster wheel and the treadmill and I've always prided myself that hey I've had I've worked for myself my whole life I've always been taking care of my family through the businesses that I get to run and make choices in so I always felt that I've always had my life and my freedom but sometimes we can even become a slave and on the treadmill and hamster wheel, even in our own businesses, our own families and stuff that we can just get on these treadmills. So I get that feeling going through this town, through these little towns in backwoods, Georgia, driving to Columbus. And I'm thinking about my family and my life and the enjoyment that I've had. You know, I've been able to, you know, go to all my kids' elementary and junior high plays and all their events because I never had to ask for time off. And there's no greater feeling than being able to take care of the things you need to take care of without interference. That's how this walk with cancer is for me. I get to take control of the outcomes that I want for my life. It's allowing me to live again. I control what goes in my body. I control how I get to act, respond every day, every week. I know what my side effects are. You know what my side effects have been? Great energy. Mind clear. My body, mind, and soul are so clear now. When I look in the mirror and see my body, I was like, man, this is something. Great nutrition. 
Okay, here so here this here's some of the bad side effects. I gotta eat organic stuff. Okay, I gotta do my own cooking. Gotta do a little exercise. Now I'm not running right now. I can't run right now because running takes too much out of my body. So you gotta understand here's a guy that has ran from college on for the most part at a high level. I'm 2016 Masters M55 World Champion. So running has been a big part of who I am, but I had to give that up. But I still get the exercise on. Oh, I got to do coffee enemas. It's a bad side effect. Except you feel so good when you're finished. Your mind, your body is clear. You feel light like you're floating on clouds. So that's the side effects. Those are the side effects. Got to clean up that mess, so to speak. Okay. I can deal with those. I'm choosing to deal with those. Those are the choices that I'm going to, I'm making. So this Columbus trip just made me anticipate this trip. What I didn't know, I would be sitting in the lobby of a hotel with my podcast equipment set up, speaking, first of all, doing it here, but doing it live. I don't know what was making me do it live. I, I told my wife, I'm not going to be live or try it to January of next year, 2021. But as I've been sitting here for the last you know, hour and a half just talking, the relief that I'm having is unparalleled to anything I've had in my life. And the focus and the, what I'm anticipating, and I gotta be careful with anticipating because I didn't anticipate this, but the smile and the joy is just unparalleled. And I'm saying that because I've had some some trials when I got to Atlanta. So what I didn't mention when I first got to Atlanta, um, um, the end of November, you know, I parked my car at the parking structure. You know, we pay a monthly fee. And I had someone, you know, a couple of folks in the office go start my car, you know, make sure it would start every now and then. Well, my partner went to try to start it you know, a few months ago, they said, Corey, it doesn't start. I said, okay, well, we'll call AAA when I get there or we'll get it started. Well, when I came back to Atlanta, I brought my jumper cables. You know, I traveled with my jumper cables. I said, you know, we can go ahead and get it jumped. So when I come up the elevator from Martyr, I'll go right up to the office. I just want to, you know, check in real quick. And I'm standing, sitting in my office, checking some emails. I said, Jack, let me go check on the car. Let's go ahead and get this started just in case, you know, I want to get it towed. You know, I want to be doing it in the dark. Let's take care of it. 
Well, he said, Car, it's on the fifth floor, I believe. We, we go to the fifth floor. Car's not there. I said, well, Jack, this is getting your car. Let's just drive every level. Maybe it's the different level. It's not, it's not there. Well, we drive from the bottom to the top. The car is gone. I said, that's my car gone. So I go to the office and the guy, I said, did y'all have my car towed? And he looked up in the computer. He said, no, we didn't have it towed. It's, it's, no one's called anything. And I said, I got to call the cops. Somebody stole it. I said, well, no, no one would steal a car that doesn't run. That doesn't make sense. So I go back into the office and I call the tow company. They got the car. I said, okay, how much is it to get it out? She says, it's $2,500, $2,570 to be exact. I said, what? She says, yeah, it's been here 88 days. I just chuckled. I said, okay. So now I'm like, okay, I got a 2001 car, 190 something thousand miles. This $2,500. I'm going to probably spend another $2,500 getting the repairs and stuff I need to get it done to drive. Maybe I'll just go out and buy a new car. Well, I'm really thinking that, you know, Kim's going to say, okay, yeah, go and get a new car. It'll make sense. She said, she didn't even, you didn't even come out of her mouth. She just, just go ahead and get it out. I'm like, okay. Didn't say anything back. I just said, okay. Cause I knew that was the answer. So now I go, it's not, now the tow company, if you ever had a car towed, they cash only. Ain't no credit card, no check, nothing, none of that with a tow company. So now I go to the bank to take out. $2,600. I'm walking in the bank and this lady and her mother are standing at the thing where you fill out your, your deposit slip. And she says, and I, I started talking and, and she says, were you just at the airport? I said, yeah, I was just at the airport. She said, you just flew in from Vegas? I said, yeah. I said, did you guys just fly in from Vegas? She said, yeah, we, we just flew in from Vegas. We saw you this morning. You had these big old bags that you were checking in. I said, yeah, that was me. And we just started talking. And I, and I told him about what was happening with my car. That's why I was in the bank. And then I told him about my battle with, you know, prostate cancer. You know, so we're just talking. And I find out they're from Vegas. And then her husband comes out of the, one of the rooms talking with the manager. And she says, tell me what you just told me. So I just kind of repeated my story. And he said, you know, my brother just got diagnosed with prostate cancer yesterday. And I just said, this was worth the $2,500. Because I gave him my card with my podcast information to listen to it and, and, and some stuff. Say, look, he has some options. And got the money. So now I'm going to get the car out of impound. So, you know, I'll pay the lady the money. And I said, well, can, you know, can, can my, can Jack go back? I got my own jump jumper cable so we can jump the car. She said, no, only tow companies can go back here. Uh, I said like triple A. She said, yeah. I said, well, I said, I don't want to wait for triple A. It's going to take about an hour. Can I just pay you guys to do it? 
she said, well, it's $65, but it, it's going to take about an hour anyway because we don't have any trucks in here right now. So now I'm like, well, heck, I might as well wait for AAA to say that $65. So, so I called AAA and tell them I need a jump. I think my battery's dead, so I don't need a tow truck. Just bring one of your cars that can kind of tow. I mean, it can start the car or something like that, and and let's go from there. And so I called AAA, and now this is where procrastination and you not doing what you're supposed to do comes in. I've been telling Kim, I say, I need to renew our AAA, but I never got around to it. So I call him. They said, well, yeah, you need to renew it. She said, but if you want to use it today, it's going to be an extra $55 because it has to be seasoned for 24 hours or something like that. And I said, no problem, whatever. So he goes through. He says, sir, look, you've been a member for, for years. I'm going to waive it and just have you pay the fee. I said, fine, you know, thank you. So the guy comes to helps me jump the car. Car won't jump. He says, sir, your uh, it's your starter. You hear the click, 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 click. That's your starter. It's not your battery. So you're going to need a tow truck. But I'll go ahead and call one in for you so you can come in. I said, okay, fine, no problem. So the lady calls me to verify I wanted a tow. I said, yes. She said, okay, well, it's going to cost you. Um, you have to pay for the mileage. I said, ma'am, I have the plus. You know, I got, I got up to 100 miles. She said, well, yeah, but you just renewed it today. So it takes 72 hours for you to use that feature of the plus. I said, no problem, ma'am. Just, just bring it on. I got to do what I got to do. So now I'm sitting in the parking lot with Jack. Jack's been with me five hours during this whole process. So and he, it says, well, it's going to be about another hour and a half before the tow truck comes. So it's now it's like 6 o'clock. I said, well, Jack. Let's go, let me go get the car from Cam so um, you, you don't have to wait. So, and I said, man, should I leave? Because we have to get come early and, you know, all that stuff. You know, is that, is that what I want to do? You know, you know, what, what should I do? You know, I said, well, let's, t let's take the chance. Let's go for it. So we do it. And I get back in time, get the car, get there at 7.20. He shows up like 7.30. So I had 10 minutes to spare. So we go in the back, you know, to, to get the car towed. I said, man, hold on. Let's see if this car would jump. Sure enough, the car started. <laughs> I just shook my head. I said, ain't no way. He said, what you want to do? I said, look, you here now. Just go ahead, put it on the tow truck, take it out to where my mechanic is. I said, look, man, I've been flying all day. I just flew back in. I hadn't eaten in 30 hours. You know, I'm just drinking juice. But I wasn't feeling hungry. My body was still holding up the way it was supposed to hold up. All that stored energy and stuff was just working. But I'm still, I'm tired. And I said, look, man, here, like here, can you just drop it off there and we good? He says, I got you. He said, you know what? Don't worry about the fee, you know, because it, it picked up on your plus that you're good. So it's not even there. I said, okay, thank you. So the car gets out there. 
but I have to go the next day to get my parking car because I left the parking card in the in in the cigarette thing, you know that I keep my little card. So I had to drive out there to get in, check on the car, make sure it got there, and it did. I gave the mechanic my emission thing, showing them that it failed and all that stuff. So takes them a couple of days. They look at it and say, yeah, it's going to be about 20-something hundred dollars, which I was kind of expecting. I had to get a new timing belt and all this other stuff. I said, you know, fine. So now I'm, I'm five grand. I'm five grand into this into this this journey now so they fixed the car and all this stuff and that's when i picked it up and got a chance to drive it to columbus which i'm glad i did because the check engine light came on <laughs> you know actually i picked it up that friday check engine light came on that that saturday i drove to columbus that tuesday so i told him and i called him he said look just bring it back there's nothing wrong with the car, but we'll, we'll find out what's happening. So after I get back from Columbus, I do bring the car back. And I, they said, okay, they have it for a day. They said, oh, you need a motor mount. That's the vacuum seal. The vacuum was getting loose. That's why the check engine light will come on. You were losing that pressure. I said, how much is that? And they said, that's another $2,300. So now I'm, I'm 6,500, almost seven grand into a car probably worth five, six grand. But I'm happy. I'm okay. It's just, I said, you know, don't bother me because I already driven it to Columbus. So I knew it was working. And that's how I feel about this. You know, that, you know, I've been juicing. I've been working out. I know how my body feels. I know I'm getting healed. It ain't perfect yet. But I know I'm being healed. I'm looking at him, seeing how my body's performing. You know, this this leg here got me here. I was alert. I was bright. And I did so many other things before I took a five-hour drive. I'm like, man, where did all this energy and stuff come from? So now I take the car back. Now they really fine-tune it. So I'm, you know, almost seven grand into the car, I said. And I, and, I, and I told the guy, I said, oh, first of all, I didn't have my emissions. I got to me back up for a minute. So I needed still to get my emission ticket. Uh, I got my driver's license. It finally came in the mail. But I still hadn't got my emission yet because I hadn't passed admission. And I couldn't with that check engine light. And that's what I was going to do actually that next day. And he said, well, we can do the admission ourselves. I said, why didn't you do it the first time? Because, see, before they never did admissions. They never did admissions, but now they do. I said, I gave the guy my admission failure ticket. So, as a matter of fact, you got here it is. It's in the, it's not in the glove compartment. You guys put it back in here. So, I talked to the owner. I said, look, the car drives like a dream. I said, but. I'm a little disappointed, but not mad, but I want you to understand something. Somebody should have noticed that my car tag was told what was expired. Even though I've already given them the emissions, knowing that, I, that they needed it. I said, I went to one of these, you know, quick loop places. When I'm six, I wasn't even expired. I'm 60 days out. They asking me, do they want to give me um, do you want me to do a, a, a mission? And I was, and I think 
once, I said, yeah, go ahead and do it. That way it's out the way. I said, if you're doing admissions and you're doing all this work, always have your guys look at the license plates to see if they're within that 60 days because you can get your admission done 60 days within the, the time frame that it's expired. I said, that's revenue that you let walk out the door just by not having your guys pay attention. I said, the other thing is, you got, we've been talking about this for two weeks that you know I am driving across country. I need everything to be tight. So I'm just disappointed that no one picked us up. But you guys do great work. I'm only saying this, that I want you to go to that next level in your business not to have things like this walk through. Nobody did anything wrong, but there is a flaw in this process in the system that even if they did not receive received my failure from my mission, someone should always be looking at the license plates to see when those things are expiring. And if they're within the time frame, you guys can do it for the next year, offer it to your customers. And we talked about that and we talked about some other things and he ended up really thanking me because he wants to go to the next level. And me talking about my diagnosis, I feel the same thing that this, this talking helps all of us get through what we need to get through. We can take it to the shop and sometimes we get it back. It's not completely fixed. I can do these treatments and sometimes it's not quite done yet. So all this is tying into this journey that I'm on. And that's why none of it upset me because I know this is the journey. So now I get the car. Now while I'm getting the, picking the car up, I'm actually doing my car tags right there in the shop waiting for him to finish it up. Now, meanwhile, I'm sitting in this shop. He comes out with his motor in his hand and says, oh, the other thing was, I, I said, look, the last couple of times I picked my car up, I've had no windsure, window washer fluid in my car. And I'm getting ready to go on a long road trip. You know, bugs get you on your cars and stuff like that. You want to be make sure you can keep a clear windshield. So I said, I don't want to do it without it. And so, and so that was one of the other things I brought up to him. I said, look, man, every time I come out of here, I don't have a windshield. My, my, my wipers don't have any fluid in it. So now he comes back after, you know, this my last trip with this motor and saying, well, here, this is why your, your windshield washer motor is no good. I said, okay, how much is that? He said, that's another, I don't know, hundred something bucks. I said, well, I need it because I don't want to be on the road without it. He said, okay, well, I'm going to have to order it. Whatever I can do, you can go and it's just a pop in, pop out. So now I, I've been looking at these Apple CarPlays because I want to get, I want to have my interior to be like it's a, a up-to-date car. And so I'm calling all these different places, but it's hard to find it for this Lexus that I have. I call him and say, look, man, by chance, can you install a radio? This is what I'm trying to do. He said, well, look, you, you just a court you can get. You can play it through your radio. I said, well, I kind of got that, you know, but it's an FM frequency, you know, and it's changed. He said, no, this will come directly through 
Matter of fact, your map will show up on your screen because you got the navigation in here. You know, it'll be just like the Apple CarPlay. You say, this is a cord. I said, we'll go ahead and order it and, and I'll get it. Well, a week goes past because I had to wait to get my, my car tag, my the tag, you know. So I had to wait for that, which it finally came the latter part of last week. No, I, I think it came Friday. So I put that on. I'm waiting. I call him actually Monday. I say, look, man, I'm, re- I'm getting out of here Wednesday. You, you know, how about this motor for my windshield wiper and this, this cord for my car? He's like, I don't have it. I mean, he's like, well, we'll call you when it comes in. Well, I just, I just left. I just had to, I had to start this journey. So I don't have this washer fluid motor thing or this Apple CarPlay, but it is working through my FM frequency. I drove from Atlanta. Um, I think I got to, uh, uh, right outside as I entered Mississippi, I had to change Meridian. Actually, I had to change my FM frequency. So that was a good ride without having to change it. But all this, I'm saying this, uh, as I'm going through this journey, you know, I'm juicing my coffee enemas, my, my vitamin C, you know, um, IVs, you know, all the different things I'm doing, making sure I'm getting proper rest. I'm feeling and seeing the progress of what's happening with my body and what's going on. And I'm feeling real good about it. I can't wait to take this test again to see where my PSA levels are because I know it's going to show an improvement of where I started. So I was at, think, 5.24. And I'm going to announce the numbers. And this is why this is important for me and those that are listening who may be dealing with chronic diseases because, you know, chronic diseases... You know, what I'm finding out from my research and learning, most of it is all about nutrition. If we, if we fix our nutrition, it fixes so much stuff. So, and the coffee enema, you know, that's getting all the, the antioxidants, the, the, the bad stuff out of my body, detoxing my body, the antioxidants, all that stuff, you know, helping with my bile ducts and all that stuff. And I'm just feeling so good. I feel like almost I can float. And it's not because my body weight's so light. I weighed myself today. Matter of fact, so I got to work out today for the first time since I've left. Because I built in, they shut down the fitness center. So in the hotel here, the fitness center was open. So I got a chance to get a good workout in. And I hopped on a scale. And I always remember going to the doctor when I, you know, getting checkups or whatever going on. They always weighed me. And I always wanted to be light. And I always wanted to take my shoes and my jacket and stuff off. Because I wanted that weight to be right. Because I know I was 175 pounds when I left the house butt naked. But now I got all these clothes on, and now I get on the doctor's scale, I'm 181, 182. And that's what they write down. I'm like, I'm not that heavy. I said, I'm 170. I said, don't y'all deduct for all the clothes? They don't. 
But I got on the scale today with my shoes and my sweats on and stuff. I said, I'm going to leave it on. I was 154 pounds. I'm probably 151, 152 at most. So now taking the scale, the, getting on the scale with my clothes on, don't bother me no more, even though it's still inflated. But I'm out of weight I'm supposed to be. So understand, for the last 17 years, I've been, people have been telling me how great I look and all this stuff. And I've been overweight at 170 pounds. And I thought I looked good too. I really did. I said, I look good. I'm 170 pounds. I, I'm down from 193, you know, when I was really bloated. And I look good. I'm competing. I'm winning races. You know, when I'm racing, I, I'll fast to, you know, 100 and, you know, something, 160 pounds. You know, I'll get that weight off. And I get down to 165. And when I get to the race, I may get 161. But I saw what I looked like and how I felt. Didn't quite feel that good. Now I'm even 10 pounds lighter than that. And I really feel good. So even at that 165, 170, when I'm being told I look good and all that, and I look in the mirror like, yeah, this ain't bad. But losing that last 20 pounds to get back to where I was in high school, it's a totally different ball game. As I've been lying to myself or I'm letting others influence what I think is okay. And what are we going to let people influence us to do about our health, about our life? Is it always about being accepted? I want to be understood. I don't need to be accepted. And I'll be willing to talk to anybody about anything that we have opposite ends of an opinion on. Just explain it to me so I can, we, can, we can understand it together. But what I'm understanding is only yourself going to get us to understand what we need to do with our lives. And God helps me through that process. Not because he's a genie in a bottle and I just rub him. And I get all these things, all these nice things happen. No. I got to put the work in. I got to do it. Faith without works is dead. And fear, faith and fear don't match. I can't be afraid and say I got faith. And I remember sitting in that doctor's office with my wife, Kim. And even before that, I said, Kim, I got it. And she said, how do you know? I said, because this is part of the journey. And when we got in that doctor's office 
And he came in, shut the door, and went through his his crib. And he said, I have prostate cancer. I looked at her and I winked and smiled. And he went through his bill. I let I let him just do his his grip. Cause now now he's a salesman. Now he gotta get me to do one of those three treatments. So he goes through it. And I didn't say anything. He said, You probably ain't gonna do none of them. And I hadn't said anything. He said, Well, if you don't do any of them. I can't do active surveillance, which means, you know, monitor what's going on. And I just said, it don't even matter. Because I already know I'm going to get healed. I have already been researching what I need to do. Because, you know, this, you know, this was probably four weeks already. You know, so... There was no fear. And he tried to instill that fear in me that if I didn't do anything, I'm probably going to die. And see, doctors are not afraid to tell you, well, well, would you rather live or die when they don't have an answer? And that makes all of us take a big swallow. Yeah, that's true. But what he forgot was, I already know I'm going to die anyway. All of us going to die anyway. But also I got someone that got more power than he do. That I believe in. That's given me the strength to do what I need to do. God ain't doing this easy. He ain't saying you can sit up, watch football and eat pizza and all that stuff. I'm going to heal you. He's saying, okay, now you ready to put the work in? And he's always and already have shown me that hard work don't bother me. So I'm okay. I'm ready for this fight. It's not even a fight no more. It's just a change in lifestyle. And I, and I said earlier that I'm going to stop saying treatment. I'm going to start saying this is my lifestyle. This is my new lifestyle. What lifestyle do you want to live? What lifestyle do we all live? I want to live, not be alive anymore. You know, you hear people being on life support system. You know, back in our days, you know, they used to say they are vegetable, but they still alive. Can't communicate. Can't do anything. But when that pull, that, that plug is pulled, we cry because we know we've lost them. Because now they're, 
been diagnosed as being dead. But even though they hadn't talked or said anything to us in months, there's still some hope that they're, we still want to say they're alive. You just think about your own life. And that's what I did for me. I said, let me think about my own life. What is being alive? What is that? What is it? And that's when I started really thinking about times in my life. What has really made me the happiest of is typically after something bad has happened. Because I got to fight again. I got to say, this is not going to knock me down. I can't let life take away my living. And I look back on my 59 years. If there's one thing I know about me, if nobody else knows, I'm going to keep fighting. No matter what the odds are. Or what the majority is saying. And that's why I'm here today. Happy and rejoicing with prostate cancer. Because I needed this to get a get a slap in the face or for the foot on a hiney. I remember mom saying, never get comfortable of being where you are. Always grow and try to learn more and more. You know, one of my favorite shows I like to watch now is Life Below Zero. And it's to show these, these people that live at the Arctic Circle. So it's very cold. But they control everything around them except the weather. And they have to adapt to the weather to what they can or can't do. Because when they get in this water, sometimes they need it to stay frozen because when it, def when it starts defrosting or, or, you know, melting, all the scat from the wolves and stuff gets into the system. And them learning and understanding that stuff is important. They regulate what they need to do to survive. What that show taught me is how to survive in life and enjoy it. I never believe that I've been a victim of anything in my life. I'm a survivor because I'm a fighter. 
But I don't live life to survive. I live life to live. And that show teaches me that and instills that fight in me still. This one guy in there, they killed this, the caribou. That's their meat. And I remember growing up, you know, as a kid, you know, we always talked about people, you know, on, on government assistance. You know, you get your government cheese and all that stuff. You, you know, you, you, you hear that term. But he, this hit me like a ton of bricks. He killed this caribou. He said, hey, I know what I'm eating. I'm not eating that government food. Because even the good meats that we buy is passed by the government. And while, you know, brought up that if government cheese, all of it's government cheese. And what they learn to survive you got to take care of everything yourself. They say, I know what's going on in my body. I don't have no antibiotics, no, no pesticides. Everything I get is coming off the land. And that's why I look at my life right now. I want to live off the land to be the best that I can be. And God's given me the strength to do this more than I ever thought or believed that could happen. It's tremendous. And I want to thank you for listening to this, this segment. And i got a guest that should be coming in here real soon. And I'm going to get prepared for that, but I'm going to take a break right now. And I want to thank, the, thank those that are listening. And I want to ask you to please stay tuned. I'm going to be broadcasting live at every stop. And I'm going to tell my experience from one stop to the other. This is my therapy because this is unlike me to be talking like this to whoever can listening and doing it out in the open in this hotel lobby. But I know the strength is there now. And I'm looking forward to the rest of this journey. I don't know when I'm going to get home. Because I have no schedule. I'm scheduling five more stops. I don't know if a stop's going to have me stay there a day longer or something. Or if I'm going to run into something. I know certain states were closing down. I, I might have to get a detour. And make this trip a little longer drive. But what I know is that this path is already ordained. And when I get to where I'm supposed to get to in, in, in Las Vegas, 
It's going to be perfect timing. So I want to thank you and um, hang in there. I'm going to go on a break. And when I come back, I'm going to have a guest sitting in front of me, my line brother. And we're going to talk about some college days and have a little fun. But I want to thank you for, for tuning in and listening and just hang in there with me a little while longer because when I'm done here, I'm hitting the road to my next stop, Shreveport, Louisiana. So thank you. Thank you.
Okay, had to drink my juice. <laughs> yeah, so I got this, this juice, these bottles of juices. Oh. Hello. Hey, man. Air, you are live on the air. So well, well, you know, you know well, I want to miss an invitation, man. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love you, I want to miss an invitation. <laughs> hey, man, but look, you know, and actually, I'm glad you called in because you know you your episode two on you know on the podcast, so people now can hear you live and even call in and and talk to you and have questions if need be. So those who have listened to the podcast and listen to, you know, actually uh, episode 2.1 with uh, Mr. Eric Sandifer, you know, he's actually on the line now. So any of y'all that commented on him and would like to talk to him since he's been, you know, around in Syracuse, Orange, man, you got him on the phone. You can speak to him directly now. So Eric, you know, thanks for calling in. even though I didn't know you was calling in, but thanks, man. This is this is perfect timing, and my 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 studio guest just walked in too. So this show is getting uh, getting be crazy on me already, man. This is this is fun. How you doing, Mister uh, Mister Ben Buckley? My my line brother just came in. My best friend from elementary school just called in. So this is um uh, this is getting this is getting full for me so ben's getting ready putting his stuff on go ahead and say something that might be you are live on the air good afternoon everybody all right eric you still there yeah i'm here okay good 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 so we got three people on this show now we're live on the air. We are broadcasting worldwide. We have listeners all across this country and Germany. We have them in Italy. And we also have them in Australia. So we got a big audience here. But these are people that are on this call with me now that are very close to me. So, you know, you guys probably have heard if you've been following me the podcast and listening, you know, you heard Eric and I's interview, you know, a few weeks ago, he's on a call and this other gentleman, Ben Buckley, he was my front. So let me explain to you what my front means. When you play as a fraternity, they line you up supposedly by height and you go one through 13, which is what we were. He was number four. I was number five. And he had my back every day. <laughs> right. And he had my front every day. And you spend time 
together when you are pledging and you spend more time with your back and your front because you're lined up a lot. So this is kind of special for me. I'm here in Jackson, Mississippi. Here I am in his hometown. This is where Ben is from. He's from Jackson. But he also lives in Minneapolis, correct? Apple Valley, Minnesota. Apple Valley, Minnesota. Okay. And maybe soon to be Houston, Texas. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my friend Eric, Eric, you're in Savannah now. Is that correct? I'm in Savannah. Eric, I think I hung up on you accidentally, my friend. Uh oh. That was it. See, this this is new for me being live, guys. So y'all getting it. Yeah, I, I I am here now. Okay. Okay. And how has that been since you've been in um Savannah, sir? Oh man, I caught between growing up in southeastern Michigan and spending a number of years in northeast Snowbelt Hill. I caught coronaphobia, and coronaphobia, for you that don't know, is the fear of snow. <laughs> so I am loving being South Southeast, and I'm headed to Pensacola for the next probably six weeks to spend time my book editor. And uh, before I leave, I certainly want to direct your listening audience to everydayguide.us, the uh, Webpage is developing and coming along well. We're doing uh, advanced sales of the project, and I have started my publishing process with Christian Faith Publishing, and we should be in stores and online by the first of the year. That's great, man, and I'm so happy for you, Eric. And it's so funny. You got snowphobia, and, you know, we grew up in Michigan, and, you know, we had snow all the time, man. You know, so to hear you say that is kind of funny. But it, then you go to Syracuse and play basketball. They got more sm- snow in, in Syracuse than they did in Ann Arbor. So I don't know hey. how I, I don't know how you got phobia, man. But yourself, you know, we were talking. I was talking a little earlier about fears and stuff and having phobias. And you know, I was talking about some of my fears and that no matter how old we are or young we are, we have them and a lot of them stick with us. Well, it just took you 59 years to get rid of snow phobia, man. So I'm glad you finally got there, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I developed a snow phobia in 1997 after graduate school. I had enough. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. It was a long time, man. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, Eric, I appreciate you, you know, you checking in, man. And uh, I'm going to call you back. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a finish up with Mr. Ben Buckley here, my my front. We're gonna talk a minute, and then I'm gonna get back to you, and we're gonna have another conversation, sir. Do your thing with your front. I text you because I was thinking about you because I love you and I'm concerned about you. My rest of my afternoon is full. I had a great interview, and I'll tell you about it later with podcast because I'm doing now to market the book, but my only concern and why I text because I love you and I'm concerned with, and I want to know how you were doing. And then I accept your invitation to call. Love you, my brother of more than 50 years. Do your front. God bless you. God love you. And so do I. Thank you, sir, man. I love you too, um, Eric. And I'll be talking to you, my brother. Eric, thank you for supporting us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so Ben, so now it's just you and I, 
in our listening audience. So I kind of prepped them up a little early on my last segment that we will probably be talking some Morehouse stories and stuff like that. Now, we know we can't tell all of them. <laughs> and some of them, some of them I have to click the other button. So when I go online and I tell them I'm podcasting and I'm, I'm live, I got to tell them, is it explicit or is it public? So I'm on public right now. Okay, I'm public. So maybe one day we might hit that explicit button and we can tell a couple of more stories, but we still can't tell them all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, so uh, I, w- I want to welcome uh, my lion brother, my front, Mr. Ben Buckley from Jackson, Mississippi. And I accept the welcome from my back from Ann Arbor, Michigan, <laughs> a legend in his own right. <laughs> wow. And a good brother. Good brother. Well, I appreciate that, man. And, you know, my first couple of segments, I was talking about this journey that I'm on. You know, I got six stops that I'm making from Atlanta to Las Vegas as I make this drive. And my first stop is here in Jackson, Mississippi with you. Mm-hmm. And it is a pleasure to be sitting here in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was here, I've been here a few times. I actually ran some indoor track meets here um, at Jackson State. You know, Jackson State, you know, this is where Jackson State is, where Deion Sanders is not the head football coach at Jackson State. So, you know, HBCUs, you know, we we, we, we get ready to make this thing happen. You know, we're Morehouse grads. We sat chapter bros, you know, fall 80. You know, this is our 40th year, you know, yeah. so this is this is a a, a big, year big, year, big year for us. Big year for us. Yeah, so, you know, we are definitely, uh, you know, we feel ourselves, you know, together right now. So uh, it's great to see you on my first stop uh, on this journey. Um, and if I can interrupt you, go ahead, what, what is totally awesome for me, he actually is the first of my line brothers that have taken the journey <laughs> anywhere I've been. No, whatever. Well, no, he's the, one of two, three that have actually trekked wherever I've gone in the country. But Mississippi, sometimes it's a, it's a little tug of war. But what? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm ecstatic to see him. Um, almost had a wreck when I found out he was coming. But to see a brother that's been, been there for you and pledging those stories about pledging or about Morehouse, it doesn't get any closer to the, the than your back. So it's good to see you. Yeah, yeah, your back and your front, like I said, you know, and because there's things you and, you and I had to do that we didn't experience with the other, you know, so <laughs> things that we had to do, pledging, it's between you and I, mm-hmm. maybe you and Marshall, Marshall. and me and Bernard, you know, yeah. when you when you when you consecutive behind each other, there's things that only the person in your front and back knows. <laughs> Sometimes they wish they didn't. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's ironic, but you know, as I'm going through prostate cancer and, and making sure I put no toxins and stuff in my body and stuff that you know, I I don't. I'm not using any deodorant, you know, and 
you know, one of the things is, you know, you can buy deodorants and stuff that that help, you know, or or don't have the 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 pesticides or the bad stuff that your body doesn't need. I'm just like, well, I'm just not gonna put any on. You know, the good thing is I'm not a heavy sweater or perspire until you, I guess you're next to me now, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> but I got a story about that because I remember, I, you know, when I started, I said, okay, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to use deodorant. I said, you know, I'm okay. And I remember that afternoon, I was, I was like, okay, uh, Ain't that bad. I think I can get used to this. <laughs> yeah, I remember somebody else. Right. I had, yeah, I, 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 I've had this before. <laughs> so, you know, you got a nickname, right? Yeah. What's your nickname? Uncle Funkley. Uncle Funkley. Ben Buckley, Uncle Funkley. So, Uncle Funkley came because Ben Buckley stank. <laughs> so, but, so what you got to understand you got me prepared for this. I had some toxins going on. Right. <laughs> right. So you got me prepared that me smelling myself. I said, I had Ben in front of me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Nothing can beat that smell. Right, right. So I got to tell the story about that. So I remember you were a secu security guard. Oh, you were a security guard and you wanted to go out and do something. You asked me, you said, Corey, man, will you take my shift for me? I said, okay, Ben, uh, I will, oh, uh, I will go ahead and do this for you. He said, all right, man, here's a uniform. That uniform was so funky. <laughs> I said, Ben, how you got me bumping for you in this uniform? And then I ain't gonna lie. I was scared because I was in this little booth. Nothing but older. And it was a, like a warehouse, you know, in this big empty street and it, cars would come by. I said, what if somebody come up here and try to get in? What am I going to do? Put your uniform in front of them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we had this little key because I had to walk the grounds and I had to stick this little key mm -hmm. in every stop that's letting them know that you made your rounds mm -hmm. now of course they got technology now you probably just a wine or something you know you got a little card key or something mm -hmm. but just showing you how technology you know has kind of changed uh so it, it, it's just kind of kind of kind of funny for that man but it's so great to see you um being good and, to see you and you know you and i've kind of hung out a little bit a little bit after college a little bit here and there and it's great to be back in Jackson, Mississippi. The SIP. And I'm just, you know, just to show you how it works, you didn't have to be here because this is not really your home anymore. Mm. You just happened to be here. Well, a call, a call to duty. Right. For the family. But it ended up, your attachment to a place kind of grabs hold of you. <clears throat> So we're, re we're really actually in a, in a stage of our lives, my wife and myself, or where are we going to kind of land or stay? She's um, kind of pulling out in Houston, Texas, and I'm here still continuing with our family business. 
But it's, you know, you never know where God's going to take you, for one. You just don't know. You just have to be prepared and ready to accept the call that he gives you. And this just happened to be one of the um, things that happened in, in our lives. And it happened in our lives, and we just, we go for it. You know, it hasn't been easy. But nothing was easy. It wasn't easy when we went through Morehouse. It wasn't easy when we pledged. Um, was it easy through the life? But yeah, yeah, you persevere and you continue. Watching Corey through um, our lives, I got to tell you guys uh, the utmost of respect for him. How he's taking care of himself. How he's lived his life. One of <clears throat> one of commitment, dedication to whatever he does, and discipline. And I look at this discipline thing. We were kind of chatting last night, and he's talking. Talk, I'm so, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? And he's like, um, dude, <laughs> that was in a past life. <laughs> I juice. Right. I juice, man. I don't eat no more. No. And um, he says, it's about my life. And I said, well, I started my daughter and wife. They started me on this juicing thing, but it lasted for about a month. And I didn't hang with it. And I guess, you know, in reflection and looking at Corey right now and feeling his vibe, that discipline thing is something that I got to work on. And I think everybody should work on it because if you have a goal and it's a positive goal, the only way you're going to achieve it is through that committing to that desire to, in Corey's, Corey's case, to live a better life, hanging on to it and just believing deeply in your soul that that's, that's what you want to do and you, you believe in how you're going to get there. And I respect him and, and love him for setting that example for me. Well, you see, I got my little juice thing here and I got my bag of little, these little carrots um, that I'm, I'm snacking on. So when I, now I got, I got something good when I get upstairs. I got my, Kiwi? I got my carrot and apple juice ready for me <laughs> and i got a couple of nuts i can eat so i gotta eat all my nuts while i'm on the road because see my wife's allergic to nuts so i gotta get all my nuts out now so <laughs> i mean all the nuts i can eat right now because when i matter of fact i'm gonna stop eating them in flagstaff because once i get to flagstaff she's gonna start smelling them nuts like you you've been eating nuts ain't Sorry. you <laughs> gonna have a hitch moment right 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 <laughs> So she was out smelling them nuts by the time I get to Arizona. So, honey, if you're listening, I will I will not be eating nuts. Um, by the time I get to Flagstaff, I'm going to take the car. I'm going to get it fumigated. So you have no evidence that there's been any nuts in the car. Lysol <laughs> is not done here. We're still trying to catch up on the supplies. Right. So anyway, so so ben, it, again, man, it's so nice to see you, man. And, you know, we both and probably everyone, anyone that's is, is listening, we all have things in our life that we go through mm -hmm. and right. how we decide to get out of them or do deal with them. You know, that's on us individually, you know, and and what we hear what I believe the friendships are so important for us to help each other get through those particular areas, mm -hmm. not to judge it, not to look down or say, but to always uplift, you know, and, mm -hmm. and that's one of our cardinal principles, you know, uplift, 
you know, one and the other one is perseverance. Mm -hmm. You know, we constantly got to persevere, you know, so, you know, seeing you here and, you know, I know things you've been through, we didn't even the past couple of years. Right. We don't have enough time. I know, (laughs) I, I know, I know. And you know what's so funny when i every time i called you during this trip you know i called you when i got out right outside of alabama mm-hmm. you know outside of birmingham you know and we talked again every time you said hey man be safe be safe and it dawned on me the last time you said it why that's probably prevalent to you and if you don't mind sharing you know you let our audience know what you know, it's kind of transpired with that. So that safety of driving became real important to me when you said it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, <clears throat> what has happened on what, what Corey is referring to 2018, I lost my only sibling. Um, I drive a trip from Atlanta to Jackson. At that time, she had been caring for our elderly um, father who was ill and, um, Right outside of, Mer- well, she had just gone through Meridian, Mississippi, where Corey at that time was probably maybe 30, 40 minutes from. And I started feeling anytime, especially at night driving, just it bugs me. And my sister was one that would never leave Atlanta to come to Mississippi unless it was five in the evening or six. When most people that were, especially females, you want they want to hit the road early and get there hopefully, you know, before night if they're driving, especially if they're driving alone. So I always get this fear for anybody that I care about when they're driving long distance or driving period, period, that what they can encounter fatigue um, while doing so. And so it's, it's just been in my, in my, as my pastor was saying, you're Noah or whatever that, you know, try try to try to get your rest. don't take any chances, especially on the road alone. And unfortunately, you know, in myself, I'm a, I'm a victim of being hard headed. I do things a lot of times without taking others advice, especially when other people know me, <laughs> other people see what I go through, but it's gotta be my way or no way, but I'm getting better with that. <clears throat> and so, my sister decided another trip, another late drive, and right outside of Meridian, she fell asleep and lost control of her vehicle, and that was that. So I, I just, it's just, it's in me. You know, right now, my stomach is kind of turning because I'm, and, and I always take myself back to that night. My niece called at one, one in, a little after one o'clock in the morning, and I know anytime you hear from somebody that late at night, it ain't good news. <laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, uh, and Barbara was close to us because when we were pledging, we used to go to Barbara's house. That was kind of our hideout (laughs) when we could get away, run for a minute to, to, to try to take a breather. We would run to Barbara's house and stay there and... And Barbara and I actually became even closer after school, you know, when we were adults and stuff. So we communicated quite a bit. And I think I had just seen her probably a month 
prior to, I think prior to that, uh, to to, the, to her, you know, you know, losing her life in that accident, and I, I remember the you know the devastation that uh, I felt, and knowing you that you what you were going through, and yeah. when you said Corey, be safe. I'm just thinking, you know, people always tell you be safe. But when you said it, and the second time you said it, when I called you, it hit a little harder. It made, I, I focused more. I said, let me do what I need to do because I know you were saying it. Yeah, for me, but it was a feeling you were having too. And I, you know, and I knew I needed to get there. And I wanted you to stay alert. Right. <laughs> that alert thing kills me because you just got to be. And, 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 you know, you you have people that you care about when they're on, the, I guess that on the road thing for me, it's kind of, it's tough. Whenever somebody's visiting, driving, I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about that situation. Did she prepare? Why didn't she listen? And I translate that over to whoever coming to visit us at that time that did they prepare are they well rested um are, are they in a an area that might not be safe at the time and you know you gotta pass that on to them and, it, I'm, and i'm happy that you felt my spirit at that time because that might have been something that you needed to hear at that time to kind of perk yourself up yeah and it, yeah because you, you you think everything's okay and I, I got a friend of mine as a matter of fact yeah they, they got an episode his, his wife is a bre uh, breast cancer survivor and we used to tease each other about you know sometimes you drive you're driving next thing you know you start seeing giraffes and lions and tigers and bears try to start crossing the, the, the highway fireflies right i mean you start seeing everything you're just like whoa what's going on well you you're losing it mm -hmm. And so the the earlier um, segment, I was talking about how well my body has felt that I've never felt so good and alert and stuff that's going on. And what you just said, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I gotta be this way to make this trip across the country. Mm -hmm. And I said I all my driving was gonna be at, be during the day. And I had a I had a guy call me. He said, Corey, you said you weren't gonna do no night driving. I said, no, but this is the only one mm. um, because I had to get out of Atlanta. Not that Atlanta was so bad. I had to start this journey because it would have been something else in the way preventing me to make this trip. So, you know, I had a little, I had a little bit of daylight, but the majority of it was, was, was nighttime. And he called me. He said, you're not going to do it. I said, this is it. I promise you. You know, so now, you know, you sitting here and, you know, and just realizing it, I know all of it's going to be daylight. So those out there listening and, you know, Kim, if you're listening, and it's all going to be daylight, honey. I promise you it would be daylight only. And one thing you got to do is we don't know everything. We got to listen to others sometimes. Get out of ourselves. Listen to others that care about you, that might know a little something about you that you're taking for granted. Right. Um, 
and roll with it. It's not so bad to to kind of humble yourself and you know let somebody else take the wheel. But that, now that's for my wife, right, right there, <laughs> because my wife yeah. tells me she knows everything about me. And you can send her the link to let her she can listen to it live on the air. Okay, so she can um, listen to the link. And it, it, it's funny you say that, and this is so apropos, as they say that. You know, we talk about listening to others and and you always want somebody to have your back and your front. Mm-hmm. And here you are, my front, I'm your back. That it's more to that than us in alignment as it is how we are to each other in life. And I'm talking about people that we love, that we do listen. And, and I, my, my, my wife said, don't know. Just go get the car out of, out of impound. I didn't argue. I didn't say anything. I just did it because I knew she was in tune to what needed to happen. That's right. And we got to trust people that are in our lives so we can listen and hear those words because we need people to be in our blind spots. And we miss that sometimes. Mm. So having you here, my front, I'm your back. You were my blind spot. You had my blind spot. Bernard had my other blind spot. You know, so I could always kind of have a panoramic view of what was going on because I I had two to have my blind spot on my left and my right. It was probably quite comical for the front on on your front. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but you're right, though, man. Yeah, but but then, you know, there, there were things in school that you taught a lot of us. I mean, heck, half our line name is kind of named after you. Mm. Now, how we got there, I have no idea, but you part of our name, our line what's, name. What's a huckabuck? <laughs> I don't know, man, but hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. And man. we, you know, we, 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 we love it. We, the 13 is the 13. You know, and, you know, we've, we've lost four of our line brothers already. Now, I have an older brother who pledged in 76. Four, you know, he pledged four years before me. He still, have, he still has all of his line brothers, hmm. five years older. And we've already lost four. More, gosh. Well, in the um, 80s, we may have <clears throat> more brothers that are... Have transitioned than any of the lines. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we've lost more than anybody, and you know we've always kind of been that uh, rebellious line, the outcast line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, only That's, one person knew where we would go. Right, and he didn't find out until I mean, he didn't. It didn't come to him that where we might be. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah. That doggone. Moody, <laughs> Veteran Bend recommended this. Um, Maxwell, oh God, yeah, <laughs> what a great, yeah, man. We had a, we 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 are a great line, mm-hmm. period, point blank. But you know, I, I want to jump back to this wife thing, or anybody that is close to you, or anyone that loves you and cares about you. And I I have trouble. I I still have trouble with taking advice from others 
um, something about your your yourself you got to deal with um, whatever issues it may be um, got to deal with it and um, getting better you know listening to her because she's like like Corey's talking about the back and the front my wife has had every part of me since two since 1995 and trying to guide me and this is trusting is something about trying to uh, in terms of turning your life over to sometimes to somebody else who's more capable at that time of your life for you it's fear i mean you talk about this fear thing some it's fearful sometimes to say well uh, i i might not be ready for this or you know she she's right didn't want to admit that she was right but that's a <clears throat> that's the character not the character that's a flaw of mine and of, of a lot of other people and maybe for men allowing the female to do what's right or do what she knows is right for you um gotta humble humble myself and just know that she's she's got me in everything that i'm i do and i'm sure the listeners have those type of people in their lives also that that just love their dirty draws and loves them despite um had a <clears throat> Had a pastor that would tell us um, a real friend that is somebody that knows, I mean, that knows everything about you and still deals with you. And I got to look at my life and say, golly, I got a lot of those. <laughs> right. And, and it's funny you talk about a wise because I, 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 I trust my wife with so much about our lives. And because there's things that I know I can't see. And, you know, we've had discussion about believing and trusting each other on what needs to be said and heard. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, we, we talk about, let's tell each other, just tell each other the truth, regardless, because the truth, the truth it's never bad. The truth is real honesty with each other. And no matter how it may have felt in the past, when you get through that threshold, the truth is always good. You know, I talked about in the earlier um, segments that, you know, I've gotten my best freedom of learning how to live life from tragedies See, there's one of the words I can't say, y'all. You know, from bad things. Tragedy. You bad things happening in my life. See, you know, I was talking about me failing classes. See, number one of the words I can't say. But when bad, when bad things happen, but that's when I learn to live again. And so that's why having those real transparent conversations never bothered me or upset me. Because now I know it's a breakthrough. And having that back and front, that left and right, that you know, you and I, you and I have been, is is important. And our significant others are important because I believe there's a book I read that says that you become one. Mm -hmm. You cannot become one if there's things that are left out. It's mm. all right because there's a blind spot there. And so 
I want my blind spots covered in all areas of my life. And I've had a blind, you know, I've had the same partner in my CPA practice my whole life. You know, Jack and Jack's going to be on the show. And what folks may not realize that we've had each other's back through the bad and the good. And regardless of how our relationship is, you can't penetrate it and don't even try to talk about it because you don't understand it. You know, so it was nice to see him these last three weeks because we hadn't seen each other in seven months. You know, so being able to see each other, seeing you again, you know, that back and front thing, man, is just, you know, God. You take it everywhere. You take it everywhere. And I always want a back in the front. I just want you to know that you are my back and my, or my front. Likewise. That it Likewise. don't matter. There's nothing we can't get through together. That sound familiar to somebody? But there's nothing we can't get through together. Hey, in your personal lives, with your wives, man, I'm telling you, I have been blessed to have somebody that has back front, back front, up, down, under my feet, everything else, um, and you need it. When you're feeling your lowest, when you, do, when you feel like, golly, this, this day is just going to be, it's just a crummy day, and all of a sudden, a smile from her yeah. or a kind, kind word from her lifts you up, takes you a little bit further. And, and when you may have done something crummy right? and she's forgiven you or she's giving you those words to try to encourage you to lift you up, it, it's an awesome thing. You know, and I just only hope I could be a little, just, I keep telling her, I, I want to be like you when I grow up. I want to, you know, just be like her some in some ways to be be more in tune with, with what those needs are mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah, yeah I, you know I, I'm looking forward to getting home I hadn't seen my wife in a month now uh, and we haven't even talked a lot and you know you know th- this the time zone thing is is, is problematic in itself but you know when i when i left you know i i I wanted us to have some time because i you know as as well as i'm saying i'm doing and going through with this with with this prostate cancer this trip i wanted to kind of just think and reflect on my life again and i'm able to kind of do that and it's one us just to reflect on our lives and and miss each other you know and appreciate each other and because that love for one another there's nothing like it and even when it's bad it ain't that bad Mm-mm. and i gotta tell you when you're <clears throat> and you know i can be stubborn um full sometimes I guess full of self or whatever and not removing myself from any kind of equation. Um, you talk about this, the healing. I mean, this is really crazy for me right now because they're doing our, our church. They're doing a healing study right now on healing. Um, and here we are. And you're, you're talking about this, this healing thing. Um, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm having one of those blank moments, not a blank moment, a stuck moment. 
because of what's being discussed right at this moment, things that have been going on in my life. And then my brother comes right here and he's talking about, about that, this trust thing, this um, continuing to be a better person, being a better spouse, understanding that, hey, I want to appreciate that person more and the, the things we go through that allow that to happen. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to get home. Um, you know, also, you know, my, while I was away, you know, my son had ACL surgery. So, you know, he had his first surgery. I wasn't there, you know, mm. to, to mess with him. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, Kim has told me he's doing fine and he's getting through it. And, you know, just that closeness a family that's nothing like it. You know, I've been reflecting on mom and dad driving Cam and I around the country when we were young. And, you know, just that feeling. And when I drove to go see, you know, Slip Crandall, y'all. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Slip. Right, right. When I drove to see Crandall in, in, in Columbus um, last week, that drove, that drive did something to me. Uh, and I remember seeing him and, you know, it was great to see him and meet the people in his office. But that trip, that drive took me back to the 60s and 70s when, you know, driving with mom and dad from Chicago to Louisiana, going through Mississippi. With a lunch sack, knowing that you might not be able to stop at a restaurant. Right. Oh, and be allowed to eat. <laughs> Those trips. Right. You got to have your green book. So, so, you know, so when I started this trip, I helped a couple of guys that called me laughing. Corey, make sure you have your green book. Uh-huh. I'm going through Alabama, <laughs> Mississippi, <laughs> Louisiana. Yeah, say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got you to have your green book, you know. So, wow. yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been interesting, uh, this trip here. And, you know, you and I have some similar paths and a lot of things in our lives. and Educators. Right. Uh, right. And... You know, going to Morehouse pledging and, you know, and then things that's gone on subsequent to school, you know, you know, we run a, you and I have a parallel life. Person, our personalities. Yeah. Well, the way we are. Now, y'all don't know, so y'all got to understand Ben. So I'm getting ready. I'm going to mess with Ben. Now, see, Ben was the pretty boy with the green hazel eyes, you know, you know. You know everything you know so you know he you know he had to you know he got it going on you know so we said man ben coming man you know all the girls is gonna be looking at his eyes you know and looking at ben you know but but they were listening to corey <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> yeah man but but you know but those are some good times man you know and i, I want to have the 13 i want to have us all on together so we got to do Cause this is our fortieth. That's, that's so. That's this big. is my first time going live. So what I want to do, I want to get all of us on a call, and we just gonna have a whole show of just the thirteen. Oh gosh, that would be crazy. You know. So uh, I'm looking for. Matter of fact, I sent them. A, I sent them a text telling them we were on live. You know. So uh, hopefully, some of them are hopping on. You know, listening to us. 
uh, you know, you know, hearing us. So that's that's good. Who who's online? Well, so Crandall. Crandall slips on. So, so Crandall, why don't you call in and join Crandall? You can go ahead and call in. Call Slippery. Call, call in. Cause you know, you 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 were the first part of my test trip because you the one who I went to see in Columbus. So now the story's all coming together. You know. So Those. if you can, Slip might be delivering a baby, y'all. He OBGYN. Now, how he got into that, I don't know, but we gonna that's that, that that's another story. But he's a great doctor down in Phoenix City, Phoenix City, Alabama, Columbus area. That's where he is. Um, he's a great doctor. His he has, I think, two or three, two of his kids now and our physicians are now joining him in the practice. Mm-hmm. So now when you go to his building, it has chambers, chambers, and chambers, you know? So when I saw it, when I drove up there, man, my heart just kind of just melted because seeing your offsprings join you in your vision, your, 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 your life, your, your way of living, they follow you. It gotta be a great feeling. You Mm -hmm. know, my wife has two of her kids working with her you know, in, in, in her home health business. The brother did something right. Oh, yeah. so, oh thank you. Tell him, oh, tell Slip to call again. Oh, there he is. Okay, here he is. Connecting right there. I got, yes, I'm going to connect. Crando. Is you there? S- slippery. Okay, so. Now, y'all, so why? Okay, y'all, so we're going we, to. Let me let me help this out just a little bit, you know, while we working on this to get. And they talk about um, <clears throat> when you bear good fruit. Slip. If you know somebody and later in life, you see that evolution of that person. I mean, you can bring you can bring tears to your eyes sometime because the guy does things today that Whoa, who is this fella? Talk about just a, a kind dude. He would harass me, harass us unmercifully in school. But right now, that kind ear, that uplift that he'll give you, um, just being there, being there. Um, but look at his, what his kids, it's like if you're, if you're, you're that good person or you're kind of in tune spiritually, your kids tend to be that way also. Yeah, and, and, and see, so Slip was the Hercules of our line. He was the big body, that the goddess body that of the line, you know. He was Adonis. Right. Yeah. Um, you talk about they were looking at us, man. When Slip walked in a room, we might have been talking to somebody. All of a sudden, we're talking to ourselves. Because Slip has arrived. I said, wow. Too much time on your uh, hand. We got you. Okay. You, 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 own, you, you, own, you own the air now. You own the air. This is live. You, 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 you fellas have too much. You fellas have too much time on your hands. That's all I got to say. Well, you just, it's just no, nobody's delivering a baby right now. Nobody's having no, a baby I'm, right now. So you I'm good. Off. But... I'm, I'm off the rest of the day. So, so how you doing, sir? We want to welcome you to the show. Winning with prostate cancer. Uh, you, you're here with 
Corey Moody, Ben Buckley, and now we have another member of the 13, Crandall Chambers, Dr. Crandall Chambers. Doc, welcome to the show, my brother. Uh, thank you, brothers. I was listening in to you guys, and it just made me reflect how remarkably far the Lord has brought all of us. <laughs> yes, yes. And how, how swiftly time goes by. Those, those two things resonated with me. Hey, what's going on with that beard? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's called that's called time. Uh, yeah, the, what color it is? That's oh, the time I'm God. talking about. I hear you. Yeah, and this is the first time I have hair on my face my whole life. This is the first time. So, I, I told my wife I've been trying to do this. <laughs> I've been trying to do this beard thing forever, or the the sideburns where it connects with the beard. I told my wife, I said, okay, I'm gonna have to go ahead and get the black selfie. Mike can do it and draw draw the draw the. Ma- my my couldn't connect. No, I mean the hair didn't, but I had to go, you know, go to Walgreens or something and go ahead and draw one on there just to see what it might look like. So, so Crandall, we'd like to hear a, a, a story from you if you could, man. Audience would like to hear they 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 just clapping and laughing at us. So now here we got another person on. So if you don't mind, give us a story. Now, now we know, now you can't tell all of you know, but you can tell some good ones, man. Fuck it. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, what are you doing during during the time that we we were pledging? I mean, it was like we were in constant disarray. That's what it seemed like. You know, we couldn't get our act together. We we going in several directions at the same time, and and Cheetah Cheetah was the ring leader. If it, it was. If, if we were supposed to do A, B, and C, Cheetah was like, hell no. I'm going to take a captain, <laughs> and we're going to do D, E, and F. <laughs> and then it was like, okay. Uh-huh. It's like the country now. We were divided straight down the middle. Yeah, man. But 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 in spite <laughs> of that, though, even, that, even us going in different directions, it brought us close because it was us against the brothers. Against the, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's how it's always been. It's yep. us against What's the world. Right? We're yep. still tight 13. We love each other. We, we've gone through loss, just like you said, more than any other line. And we're still standing strong representing by right. his grace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep. Yes, sir. And we still got each other, like you said, back front. We there uplifting each other on a regular. You know, we, we know, you know, that we are each other's best brothers i mean we just we just brothers just like we were when we were back at morehouse yeah and see that that was important to me i have no brothers and god blessed me to have 12 brothers and it's it's important it's a warm you have a warm feeling of not really being alone a lot of times i wished i'd i'd had you know brothers in my life at, at home but i imagine that type of life through these guys yeah and so we gonna we gonna get the thirteen together, and and as a matter of fact, only got two more minutes left because that's all I'm allowed. And but this is gonna be a good segue for the next live segment. You know, we are gonna get some more of the LBs on. And as I'm going through this journey, I would love to have someone call in at least a stop for me, so I can I can I can have my back and my front with me. And I want to thank you guys for joining in and listening. Crandall, thanks for calling in. We're going to finish up 
uh, our session together, and we're gonna we're gonna give we're gonna give them a thirteen session, and and, and, and let them we, let them feast on that. Ooh. And y'all be careful there, brothers, together there in Jackson. I'm glad you made it down there to see old Benjamin. Luther yeah. Benjamin. Look at that. All right, then. Y'all, y'all hang tough, man. Okay. All right. And we, Thank we, you, we, 13, we 13 strong, brothers, 40 yeah. years. Yes, oh, sir. 40. All right, bro. All right. All right. Peace. Peace. Well, folks, I want to thank you for listening to this show, this live episode, and look forward to the next one. I'll be broadcasting from Shreveport and looking forward to that next show.